Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Okay, um, I'm Eleanor, a compulsive eater, and I want to thank Noah for inviting me to speak at this meeting. And I, hi, Eleanor. Hi, hi Eleanor. I, I love this meeting, and I'm going to do the uh, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And my um, story is one of relapse and recovery, and relapse and recovery. And I want to tell any newcomers that this is my story. It's not. Um, everybody's story so if there's something useful I hope you can benefit and if not I encourage you to listen to other people's stories um, and hope that you will find one that works for you I was not a fat child or not aware of being overweight until I was around nine years old and in fact I have a very specific memory of standing in a store with my father looking at the mirror in the clothing department as a seven-year-old seeing somebody in cutoff shorts with knobby knees and big ears that stuck out sideways, and I was sort of gawky and bony. When I was nine, my father was a pharmacist. He worked in a drugstore that was introducing a, a Shaw's candy display, and the local newspaper, it was a small town, wanted a photograph of a little girl taking a bite out of a solid chocolate key to show demonstrate this opening and I was supposed to wear a white skirt. I remember my mother was furious and frustrated because I was too fat for the white skirts that were short enough for me and she had to hem it. And the only skirt that fit me had pleats and so she had to deal with hemming this pleated skirt and it was a real bother. That was when I was around nine. I was put on my first diet sometime around that time or before I was 11. It was the old drinking men's diet, 60 grams of carbohydrate. I didn't do the drinking, but it was 60 grams of carbohydrates. And I think I lost weight or I grew. It wasn't a big deal, but it never really, you know, I never was skinny the way people wanted. And then when I was 13, my mother put us all on the original Weight Watcher diet. And for kids, for teenagers, it was a glass of milk, two ounces of protein, and a piece of fruit, and a piece of toast in the morning. It was four ounces of protein, and free vegetables, and a piece of fruit, and a piece of bread in the afternoon. And dinner was six ounces of protein. So you ate like a pound of protein raw a day going through this. And it actually looks a lot like the old gray sheet in half. But the only thing it had was free vegetables. You could eat all you wanted of most non-starchy vegetables. And I say that I learned how to be weighed compulsively and I learned how to eat compulsively on Weight Watcher free vegetables. She never went to the programs, but she got the, the diet itself out of a magazine and I lost weight. When I went into high school, it was ninth grade, I was 14, I weighed 105 pounds and I was about five three or something, five, three or five, four. And I was supposed to go back on the diet every time I hit 107 pounds, if I gained two pounds and I was weighed, I weighed every day. And I remember the day that I could not do it. 
I weighed 107 pounds. I was supposed to not eat anything but the required food. We'd gone shopping at Macy's in Bayfair in San Leandro with some friends and I, and they all had ice cream and I had ice cream too. And it started a binge I could not stop. I gained 50 pounds in 10 weeks. So I basically increased my body weight by 50% in a 10 week period. And it is indicative of what stress my family was under at that time, that this was not an issue. I mean, I'm sure my parents noticed, and later on my father did things that showed me he noticed, but um, we were my living with um, one of my, my only sibling That's had undiagnosed. first. Oh, Thank yes. you. Things. So that was what it was like. And what it was like was I never had a pair of pants that lasted more than six months or three months because my thighs would rub together and the, they would burst out. The threads would go at the crotch. My bras had little wedgies all the time because nobody knew what size I was and I couldn't find anything that fit. I couldn't buy clothes in a regular store and so I could never blend in. You know, fat people, fat children or overweight children, obese children today, there's a lot of clothing for over obese kids. So at least they can wear the same uniform while hating themselves for being fat. I thought I was the most worthless and horrible person and spent a lot of years not hating myself. Um, graduated from high school at 16, went into the dorms, barely spoke to anybody because I was the fat and ugly one. And, but I did want to go spend my junior year overseas. And I, I'd had a high school Spanish teacher that had spent her junior year in Granada and I wanted to go live in Spain. And in order to go, you had to pass an interview. And I knew that I could pass the interview in Spanish if I felt confident. And I knew that it didn't have as much to do with how I looked as how I felt. And I put myself back on that old um, Weight Watcher diet and obsessed food. <clears throat> and um, at the end of the application period, I had the, I lost 35 pounds. I had the interview. I was so happy. The day I got my letter, I started a binge that went on for six weeks and I gained 30 pounds. That was the last time I gained weight at this five pounds a week, really destructive rate. And um, I was lucky. I had a parent who was concerned, who watched my weight go up and down. And he took me, I remember being taken to a breakfast club meeting the summer before we went, I went off to Spain my junior year. And the speaker, I wonder now if she were in OA, was a recovering bulimic who shared stories about bulimia. And it was the first time I'd heard of bulimia, but it was powerful because I knew from the story that that was a crazy thing to do. I didn't see what I was doing as crazy, but I knew that it would be crazy for me to try bulimia. And since my sister was, quote, the crazy one, I was terrified of being a crazy person too. I gained and lost and gained and lost and gained and lost after that, but always knowing that it was going to have to be some sort of balanced, sane diet system, not a crash diet. Fast forward a number of years, and I told my sister was struggling with weight, and I told her about OA. I, oh, before then, I went to nursing school, and we were doing a section on addiction, and as a requirement for that section, I had to go to an open AA meeting, and at age 24, I walked out of that AA meeting saying, that's me, but I do it with food. And there was never any doubt in my mind. I did not know at that time 
that OA existed or there were other people like me, but I knew that what I did was addictive. When I turned 40, we moved to, or 42, anyway, we moved to Hong Kong in 1998. And right before I left, somebody had mentioned OA and I told my sister about it because she had no money to spend on the way and pay programs. And I didn't think any more about OA. She came to visit us in Hong Kong a year later and 12 stepped me in. And I have grown to be fond of churches because that's where OA meetings meet in person. And I remember being furiously angry that my sister and I were walking around looking for the OA room and he took one look at me and said, oh, do you Thanks want the marker? Thank you, the ladies. So I got to OA, I was gifted with abstinence the food plan that was in common usage there was three meals a day with fruit in between if you needed it, not even life, but fruit. You ate anything you wanted. I had geographic components. I only ate at a table. I only ate as part of a meal. If I had alcohol or sugar, it had to be in the context of a meal. And I've told this before, but it meant that when I I, we'd be eating dinner one place and the kids would want ice cream from somewhere else and I'd be like, oh, you could get cookies and cakes here. This stuff tastes good. And they'd be like, no, mom, we don't want that. And I'd be crushed because it meant that I couldn't get dessert. I wouldn't let myself get dessert if we got up and left. OA got me all over Southeast Asia. I got to enjoy and experience everything. I got down to pretty close to a normal weight and then I came back to the Bay Area and it was going to be wonderful because there was great OA here. And I met these crazy big book thumpers, these people that weighed and measured their food, these sponsors that were absolutely invasively fanatic about what I was eating and what I wasn't. But more than anything, I'm a compulsive eater and it was change and I couldn't deal with the change and I ate. So I left OA for a year, I gained 50 pounds. And for me, a weight gain of one pound a week is a nice, low key, not horribly frightening thing compared to what I had done. But 50 pounds at the end of the year, or on a good phase, 50 pounds at the end of two years is still 50 pounds overweight. And this has happened more than I can count. The last three years for me have given me the closest thing to a stable body weight. In 2019, we went to a 90th birthday party for my father-in-law, and I was far and away the most obese person there. I hated it, and I also wanted to plan for retirement. So I gave up some service positions. I was going to just leave OA because if insanity was trying over and over again the same thing and failing, it wasn't going to work for me. And I hunted around and found a counselor who turned out to be a century person. And the first thing she said to me was, I'm going to send you back. I'm going to send you to OA. And I said, I've been in OA for 20 years. And she goes, well, it'll be different. The outside help was useful. And I think COVID was a huge help for me because it made my world small and it let my world stay small while I was losing weight. I lost about 50 pounds and I've been more or less the same weight within a six, seven, eight pound range for the last two and a half, three years. And I'm very grateful for that. That has not ever happened before in my life. So, so just the numbers my highest weight was 207. 
my lowest was in the 150s and I weigh about 165 right now. I remember sitting in a doctor's office looking at the BMI chart and I have mixed feelings about them. I am not at a normal weight yet, but one thing I realized I was looking at it was underweight, normal weight, overweight, obese, morbidly obese. And I thought, oh my God, there's no such thing as fat. Fat is between my ears, it's not my body. And I think a lot of us have had that experience of feeling fatter in the, the dysmorphia that, that we experience. Um, so what I do now, my goal coming back was to learn how to really use the program and use the steps to help with everyday life. Because I can, I'm, I was a great student, I could do a workbook, I could do the steps, but applying them and one of the marker. Okay, so I have three minutes left. And um, so what I am grateful for now is I, I have a sponsor that helps me use the steps and with, in my everyday crises. And all of you have lived through many of my everyday crises and I appreciate that. And so I attend meetings, thanks to Zoom, I get to probably one meeting a day. When I retired, I decided to do 90 and 90 and that's how I found this 7 a.m. meeting and it's been a very good thing for me. I do service. And service, I, I secretary or I host at two different meetings. I try to have the readings so that I can read if it's a meeting where there's readings. I volunteer to answer phones because I can do that whether I'm abstinent, not answer phones, but make calls whether I'm abstinent or not. I used to be hesitant about speaking because my story is so much one of relapse. And yet I can say honestly that all the peace I have found with food, I have found thanks to OA. Any, I, I think that I will always cycle along in weight and program. And in my family, there's a lot of mental illness, a lot of bipolar disease. And I think that some of what I do with food is an attempt at self-medication. Although even that I stay away from, I find it useful to say I eat because I eat. But thanks to OA, I've also found that I'm reactive and I eat to things I didn't know bothered me because I was so numbed on food. And finally, I have a language that lets me not run away from the word God. And I define God as the source of all good things in my life over which I have no control. And that includes finding the right parking space when you come around the corner and you're late for a meeting. It includes being born into a family of people with financial security who loved me in spite of some of our ups and downs. It includes having a brain that lets me function in the world often the way I want to. It includes, you know, living in an area where the weather is good or where we can celebrate rain in the summertime because we need it. All the things that, that um, don't. And the other thing I really accept as a spiritual piece is my vision. I feel loved in the world because by definition, it is the nature of God to love, just like it's the nature of the sun to shine. I don't believe that the sun makes me warm and cozy to make me happy or think about Hawaii. And I don't believe it rains to ruin my day. And I don't believe there is love in the world for me because I am deserving of it. I simply believe there is a source of love in the world and that I can tap into that. Um, 
most effectively with gratitude. And I guess that's all. Thank you.